0: Father, I just thank you for that series of songs that together tell a story. We started talking about tell it to Jesus. The willingness to be open and honest like we discussed this morning. Lord, thank you for leading Bert to that song tonight. We focused on the name of Jesus. There is no sweeter name than that. And we ended by celebrating the fact that you have been faithful. Not only in the pages of Scripture, but in the memories of our lives. You have been faithful. You have not always done what we wanted. Lord, I thank you for that. (laughs) Because I don't always know what I need, but you do. Lord, you are worthy of our trust. And tonight, as we look more at the topic of encouragement, Lord... um, So many times you express your faithfulness to people. You answer prayers of other people by doing things through us. And we have the honor of being your hands and your feet. So Lord, just thank you for the way that you have knit together the message so beautifully in song tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I have loved the worship You all can sing. They're pretty good, aren't they? they There's even some parts. Don't be shy about the parts. Jump in there with the parts. The church Ellen and I attended for a long time in Atlanta was a new church plant and um, reached so many people with no church background at all. And that was great in so many ways. It uh, It was thrilling to be a part of getting to be a midwife and seeing new lives birthed for all eternity. We had a worship leader that um, I I love the way he would put it. He would say, did you like that song? And sometimes people would look down and he'd go, well, if you love that song, wait a few minutes, we'll get to one that you hate in a minute. And he eventually trained the church to say, and they would go, because it's not about us. And um, that was a really great thing. They earlier had had a worship leader that just, if it wasn't written after 2000, it did not exist. And I um, I, I miss the hymns. Now I would remind all of us that every hymn was original, originally contemporary Christian music. And most of those hymns were not well-received immediately. So there's some balance that's needed in there. My dad used to call anything new 7-Eleven music. There's seven words, you sing them each 11 times. And, um, well, I'm very encouraged that there's a new depth in a lot of Christian music. And there's some great modern-day hymns being written now. I'm so encouraged by that. But... But um, in, in this church, one time the worship leader's talking, and he says, we usually try to stay pretty current with the music we choose, but every now and then there's a song that just endures. It, 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 it spans the generations. And my wife grabs my leg, and she goes, are we about to have a confirmed hymn sighting? And um, I'm like, shh, be quiet. And, and, and then he goes, this, one, this one's just held up through the ages. It was Majesty." And I went, whoa, because majesty almost got me fired in my first church because as we would sing it not out of the hymnal but on the screen and the elderberries called those the -the off-the-wall songs. And I'm like, now it's something that's spanned the generations and stood the test of time. Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. That means I'm getting old. That's what that means. Hey, let me tell you about a few of the things that are back there on the table. Ellen set them up, and uh, we would be happy if you took these home rather than us shipping them back to Atlanta. That's a big waste of money. Um, I told you that each year I've been doing a different Bible character that then is taken, translated into a bunch of languages and taught literally all over the world. Um, Already I think you you have figured out my style. It's kind of basic. Uh, a young girl came and visited our church once back in that little country town, and, and um, at the end of church, she was saying thank you and you know going through that wonderful line where you talk to the pastor and we're more awkward than you ever thought about being, so don't worry about that. And she goes, she goes, I love the message today. And I said, well, thank you. That's encouraging. She was maybe 12 years old or something. And she goes, you're nothing like our minister. And um, a couple of people in our church, a couple of leaders were standing by, and I looked at them like, I hope you're paying attention to this, right? And I go, really? What do you mean by that? And she goes, no, you're just nothing like our our minister. And I said, in what way? And she goes, he's incredibly brilliant. (laughs) And I went, you can continue walking now. Nothing, nothing to see here, folks. <laughs> our, our team says, Phil's teaching is like meat and potatoes. Um, meat and potatoes. Our director in India, Satchabal, says, what is this meat and potatoes? And so they explain the concept. It's just kind of basic. That's why lots of people can take it and teach it and make it their own. It's not about me Never do people go, I've never heard such a great communicator. It's so fun when you see pastors with no training and and over 80% of the pastors outside the U.S. have no formal Bible training, none. And after a while, they'll look at the screen and they'll say, I see a pattern here, Phil. It's not an intelligence issue, just they haven't had the opportunity to be trained. And they'll go, the point that you made came right out of the verse that you read right before that. They go, is that, is that a good thing? I go, that's not just a good thing, that's a great thing. And they go, you do that all the time. Did you know that? And I said, yes, I did. I go, I go you just cracked the code. You just cracked the code. They go, are we allowed to do that with other teaching, not just walk through the Bible materials? I go, you are. You are. And they said, then I should keep the Bible open through my whole message, not just at the beginning. I go, that would be great too. We want to laugh at that. It's such a simple observation, and yet it works. And Sachibal says, what is this meat and potatoes? I do, not, I do not understand this. And they explain it to him. He goes, oh, he goes, everybody in India, um, not everybody, that would be a billion people, but, but he says, everybody calls Phil the, The curry and rice guy. And they go, what does that mean? And he explained it back. He goes, but that's better than meat and potatoes because there's a little spice there too. I'll I'll, I'll take that. This is the series I'm teaching here. Here's the workbook. You have the fill-ins from the workbook, but in the workbook are also all sorts of great discussion questions. Um, There's material for further study here's here it is it's all four lessons on DVDs and um, there's that one these sell for 35 each you can get all eight of them for 230 Um, they also we have streaming Um, this doesn't look to me like too much of a wild and crazy streaming crowd so they are available on DVDs back here crucible is the life of David crucible the choices that change your life forever It's the forks in the road David faced. You're going to be a man of um, image or a man of character. You're going to face your Goliath with fear or faith. Those forks in the road. Detour, we already talked about a little bit, Old Testament Joseph. Finding purpose when life doesn't make sense. Anybody ever have something happen in your life and it's like, Lord, what are you doing? You'll love this series. Revolution is on the life of King Josiah, subtitle, How Millennials Can Change the World and What They Need from the Rest of Us. Answer, they need us to get off their cases and on their teams. Josiah knew what to tear down as a young leader until he discovered the word of God. He didn't know what to build in its place. This has been a great tool to bring reconciliation in families across generations. Mary, the mother of Jesus, chosen when God calls your name. Notice this is, this is too close to pink. I said, do not make the cover pink because guys need to learn from Mary too. I think she's tougher than the average Navy SEAL. What God asked her to do is tougher than anybody I believe in Scripture other than Jesus himself. This, this is beautiful, and God is using this to break down walls and build bridges between Protestants and Catholics in some place. I've had priests tell me, you finally discovered our girl, and I go, well, I guess we did. And um, said, no, we need this too in Catholic churches. I said, how's that? And they said, because you ignore her, we adore her, but in the process of, adore, of adoring her, we don't view her as a role model because we don't think she ever struggled. You just let her story speak for itself. Praise God for that. Chiseled, Psalm, Simon Peter Becoming the masterpiece God created you to be. They wanted to take a picture of my abs for the cover of this, for chiseled. I said I didn't think that would be appropriate. Um, Ellen says you used to have a six-pack, but now you have a keg. So that wouldn't have worked too well anyway. Uh, This looks at how did God transform Peter from an arrogant fisherman You know, speak first, think later kind of guy to a great servant leader. He uses the same processes. Here's refuge that we talked about last night, verse by verse through the book of Ruth. Finding home in a world of change. I just don't think this book's ever been as relevant as it is right now today. And then rescue on the life of Moses, leading yourself and others to freedom. Um, This is being used um, even with some addiction recovery ministries. Um, but it's all of us have things that we need to be set free from. So anyway, these things are back there as well as some other tools. I'd encourage you to check those out. And, um, Ellen takes credit cards. Sometimes she even returns them. She's really, she's really good about that. And um, also take checks. We take cash with three forms of ID. We'll do that. I want to show you our family. On the screen, there we are. So I'm the one in the back and the left. You may recognize me, Ellen right in front of me there. Emily is in the middle. She's our our daughter, um, lives in the Atlanta area, has her own business um, called considertheworld.com. You may want to check that out. And then Philip, our son on the right, and as we always say, we needed some blonde skinny jeans in our family, so we imported Erica. She grew up in the Wheaton, Illinois, Um, right in the town of Wheaton they met their junior year of college she's one of six very Swedish kids she's Erica with a K her sisters are Bridget and Kirsten and Ingrid and a couple of brothers too Um, we just love her dearly here we have Philip and Erica's family Um, they believe be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth and they're off to a great start in the middle is Ava Um, she's five just started kindergarten On the right is Jack, as I call him, Jack Mandu. Um, And Jack is, what, three? Three, or did he just turn four? Three. Um, And then on the left is Addison Kate, or Addie. Look out, world. (laughs) Look out, world, she's coming. And they're the little baby that just arrived four months ago, June. So that's Philip and Erica's family. Um, Here is Emily. I'm not sure what's going on with her eyes in that picture. Um, Emily is called Tia, which is the Spanish word for aunt. Um, She's fluent in Spanish. She can do church services both directions without even a hiccup. Um, Just has has a real gift, a a real creative at heart. And um, they all, they love their Tia. Is that all of them? Oh, there's June, gets her own picture. Well, also born with laser vision, it's kind of a family thing. All right, let's jump into this. What? Why is that? Oh, it went away. Oh, how in the world did you do that? Whoa. Wow. Noah, if you're that good, make me weigh like 180 pounds. <laughs> there you go. There we all. There we all are. I'm so blessed by the Lord. Session two. Do you have your notes? Yes. Anybody not here last night need a set of notes? There's one or two. Ellen will ush one over to you. Yeah, there's a few up here. She's grabbing a stack back there. and then Yes, ma'am? Do we have a lost and found in case somebody lost their notes? Uh, we have, yeah, Ryan has a set back there. That's probably them. Bring me those. I want to see what she said about my message. That, that would be educational. We talked about, we met Barnabas last night. We started talking about, raise your hand if you need one. Here she comes. There we go. somebody else we also talked about the word encouragement how it, it lots of times is not translated encourage in our English Bibles it has all these shades of meanings it's a real it's a real spectrum we talked about the paracletal spectrum go ahead and pop that up while you're eyeing that rainbow looking thing um, the left side more the idea of encouragement to compliment to comfort to console and then the right side. And more and more of you started coming clean today and go, upon further review, I'm pretty much, I live on the right side of that. Both, both are needed. I, I heard a perfect illustration right before the session that I don't have permission to share, otherwise I would. But God uses people on that right side in big ways. I'll tell you a, a story that clearly falls into that category. Tonight... We're going to talk about you see Barnabas last night he recognized his role and he pursued it. He knew what he was good at it. All the other church leaders said, "Yeah, your name's Joseph, but when we're with you, we feel like you do the same things the Holy Spirit does in our lives. We're going to call you the son of encouragement." Great great name. Let's let's pick up the story in Acts 4, 32 and 33. Acts 4, 32 and 33. There we read these words. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Where are we talking about? We're talking about after the day of Pentecost. Remember, people from all over the empire have come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost Simon Peter gets up, courageously presents the gospel. The Bible says thousands were added to the church in one day. And they don't want to go home. They don't want to just go, oh, the Messiah came. Good to know. We've been hoping for him for hundreds of years. They wanted to know more, and so they extended their trips. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. My first international trip, I mentioned last night, was to Ukraine, and many people still wearing their, their communist medals at that point. And there was an argument that broke out. I'll, I'll call it an argument. It was actually in the administrator's track. These were all school administrators. And the elementary ed teachers, they would get on the floor and draw with colored markers and crayons that we had brought with us. The high school people would pick one colored marker and draw with that. And the administrators would not get out of their seats and they would take their tiny little black pens and draw charts about that big. They were very, very different. And one of the administrators, said, "Um, you come from a capitalist country and capitalism is sin. Even the Bible says capitalism is sin. And my first thought was, and that's not why I came to Ukraine to argue about our political systems. And before I could even respond, my translator says, that's not true. And I just kind of faded into the background and listened to them talk and it was going back and forth, hot and heavy in Russian, but she would speak to me occasionally to my knowledge, I don't believe this translator had pl- placed her faith in Jesus Christ yet. Later on, she did. But she's like arguing with this administrator. And, and she said he actually used this verse. How he knew this verse, I don't know. Everyone had everything in common. Even the Bible says communism is right and capitalism is wrong. And she focused on how she knew to do this. I don't know. She focused on the next verses. Go ahead to the next slide. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And she said to the administrator, this proves communism doesn't work because they owned land. They had things that they could sell, and it's better when it's voluntary on a personal basis and not everything belongs to the government. She turns to me and she goes, isn't that right, Phil? <laughs> and Phil wasn't there for that, but I've never forgotten that conversation. I've never forgotten that. Verses 36 and 37 come next. We get an example of somebody who made a sacrificial gift like this. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Here's the bottom line tonight it's not a complicated talk. Barnabas recognized a need and met it. Say that with me. Barnabas recognized a need. And met it. I know you can read. Now close your eyes and do it by memory. Barnabas. Wonderful. Wonderful. We're talking tonight about the idea of generosity. There's a man from Michigan, by the way. Some, some of you may know him. Um, he went to glory a couple years ago. I had the joy of leading his funeral with Joe Stoll Um, His name's Paul Johnson from the Detroit area. You know him, yeah, real estate developer. Um, Was chairman of Walk Through the Bibles board for our first 25 years of our history. Was chairman of Moody Bible Institute's board. Um, He led um, Christian businessmen's ministry for years and years. Just one of those really gifted, really godly leaders. More than anything else, I think Paul is known for his generosity Here's something he said not one time. I heard him say this, not exaggerating. I bet I heard him say this 50 times. Never resist a generous impulse. Never resist a generous impulse. My dad taught me a lot about generosity. Paul probably taught me even more than my dad did, at least in my adult years. As a child, my dad taught us all about generosity. Mom was part of it too, but she, you know, dad was an only child. Mom was one of nine children, the second in line. So she was a parent before she was even grown up, right? Some of you lived that life. Um, and so generosity came more difficult for my mom because with nine kids to feed, there was, seemed never any extra. My dad, only child, they weren't wealthy either, but he was spoiled rotten, I'll tell you that. Um, Anyway, Dad one time, Dad was an actuary. Anybody know what an actuary is? Okay, Dad would always say, what's the difference between an accountant and an actuary? An actuary looks at um, his own shoes when he's talking to you, and an accountant is more outgoing, so he looks at your shoes when he's talking to you. (laughs) I don't know if that's true or not. Actuaries, Dad worked for State Farm Insurance, fought in World War II, landed in France, fought... All the way through France on into Germany, was there during the occupation, then later on after, after victory. Um, got to go to college on the GI Bill as a result of that. Probably an opportunity he might not have had. Studied physics undergrad, studied math in grad school. State Farm recruited him right out of there, moved him to Bloomington, Normal, Illinois, which is why I was born and grew up there. He worked 36 and a half years without a sick day. He said they don't pay me to stay home." At his retirement, the President of State Farm said, "Well, now that Typhoid Tuttle is retiring, um, the overall health of our company will probably increase." Two weeks later, um, Dad had a hernia repaired. The doctor says, "How long have you been putting up with this?" He goes, "Not long, a decade or so." I mean, he's very stubborn, man. Dad loved to give. One of my clearest memories, one of my youngest memories, my brother was 10 years older, my sister was 7 years older. Usually at Christmas time, dad would somehow find a family that wasn't going to have much of a Christmas. And we would get to help mom buy gifts. We knew the ages of the kids, the genders. And mom would usually collect unbelievable amount of food. This one particular year, uh, this is the most vivid memory I have of one of these times. We went to this house, it was on a different part of Bloomington Normal than we lived in, and we lapped the house about four times. I'm not sure why we did that. Probably now looking back on it, just to increase the suspense and the drama for us kids to make it memorable, there was no other purpose of that. When dad was satisfied that no one was tailing us, he'd pull over and Stephen, Suzanne and I took all those bags and all those boxes that were wrapped with beautiful paper and we left them on the porch and Steve and Suzanne would run back to the car and as the youngest and the fastest, I, w- I would press the doorbell several times and then I would run and we had strict instructions. I was not to sit in the car, I was to dive over their laps. Suzanne was to pull the door shut, make sure I pull my feet in and my dad, the actuary, peeled rubber on the road <laughs> to get away. None of that was necessary. But here I am, I'm 65 years old now. I was maybe seven at the time. I remember that like it was yesterday. You know what I learned from that? It's fun to give and to give anonymously where there's no reciprocal. Now what do they owe us? That's a beautiful way to give. Paul Johnson continued God's education of me related to generosity When Paul and Marilyn were married, they both grew up in good western Michigan churches. They had been taught to tithe, and sometime their first year of marriage, they heard a message that said, you know what, you're actually allowed to give more than 10%. That was a radical thought. Paul says, I always viewed tithing as like a tax. You pay the government, you pay God, what's left is totally yours. This idea that God actually owns it all was new to me. Paul and Maryland said that year, "Hey, let's try something. Let's give 11% this year." End of the year, they were still finding money for supper. Next year, they increased it a percent: 12%, 13%. Year by year. Now, Paul would be very careful, and if if he were here and I didn't do this, he would get after me. He would say, "You don't give so that you can receive." You don't do this to manipulate God. He would also say, I, I, had, I was doing home repairs out of a pickup truck. Later on, he was building apartment buildings and shopping centers. He says, my income wasn't capped. I wasn't getting a salary. But he said, Marilyn and I were together. Um, I believe they were married 60 years. He says, every year we increased our giving by at least a percent a year. Just do the math on that. It's amazing. Never resist a generous impulse. Now, let's be careful with that one. Every need is not a call, is it? I mean, we're not wealthy people, Ellen and me, but whoever delivers the mail thinks we are. If we just responded even to half the things that come in the mail, we'd be out of money in three months. A need is not a call. Uh, A friend of mine is preaching this series in his church now, and I I listened to his message from Sunday. He was in session two. And he says, that's like like you're going through Starbucks and you get up to the front to pay, and they say, hey, the person in front of you paid for you. Do you want to pay it forward? And you glance in your rearview mirror, and there's a van back there with more teenagers than you've ever seen in your life in one vehicle. And you're like, ah, I don't want to break the string. Okay, that's not a generous impulse. That's giving out of obligation. And I'm like, what'd you do, Mike, what'd you do? He won't tell me what he did. <laughs> you know the difference. That prompting, that prompting that says, this is something I think God wants me to be involved with Paul says and he's right if if you wait if you go let me let me think about that I'm not talking about a big decision of a big amount I'm talking about those spontaneous opportunities that impulse always goes away doesn't it and especially if we go yeah 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 I hope somebody does something I've never pastored a church yet where somebody was named somebody interesting Well, let's keep going. There are four types of needs. The first one is just illustrated in this passage right here. It's financial needs. Financial needs. Barnabas says, all right, here's all these people from all over the empire. They came thinking they were just here for the feast. Now they've stayed on. You didn't go to an ATM and go, let me get out 100 drachma. Right. If, if there were hotels, they were usually places of um, questionable morality. They were um, not affordable to the average person. So what happened? People took these traveling believers into their homes. They, they managed to come up with things. Some people, like Barnabas, he's not the only one, sold land. My son, who's now a Chick-fil-A operator in Elgin, Illinois, the one with with all the kids there, Um, one time years ago, I don't know how old Philip would have been, maybe, I'd guess nine or ten, something like that, we went to a Braves game together in Atlanta, and I was not going to pay like $20 or even $10 to park. The tickets were expensive enough, so we parked a ways away, we walked, I don't know, maybe a half mile in, that was fine before the game after the game that was a scary walk we're walking along the streets there's a, a lot of people begging I still remember we went through this one underpass and there were probably 10 12 people lined up begging and it, it was it, it was a tragic sight and I had told Philip I go you hang on to my hand and I we got through this underpass and I realized I didn't have his hand you, you ever just oh man my wife was not with us. Okay, that would not have happened had Ellen been with us. And I don't know what I was thinking about, but but anyway, I come kind on, of huh? And I realized, oh, it's okay because he had he had his thumb looped on my pocket, so we still had physical contact. We get to our minivan, we we get in, and I just, Lord, thanks for keeping us safe. And and there's still we're like parked in somebody's front yard for three dollars and. Um, Probably not the wisest decision I've ever made, but we're fine. And um, just as I'm starting the engine, Philip goes, Hey, Dad, did you see that one guy under the bridge that didn't have any legs? And I go, Yeah, I did. And he goes, Do you think he was born that way? Or do you think that happened in an accident or a war or something? I said, "I, I really don't know. And he goes, Dad, that would be really hard remember when I had a sore knee a couple years ago and missed some ball games? I go, yeah. He goes, that would be way harder than just having a sore knee, wouldn't it? Yeah, sure would. And um, I'm prepared for the why does God allow suffering question, but that's not the question that was coming. He didn't have any questions. Instead, he just said, hey, Dad, um, I gave that guy all the money that you had in your pocket. (laughs) I love his heart, <laughs> pickpockets for Jesus, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I will get no reward in heaven for that amount I? because I, I'm, I'm like, really? And I'm, I'm like going, okay, I know what we started with because I'd hit an ATM. <sighs> okay, we got like a hot dog each and a, he got a Coke. I got a Diet Coke after the second inning. He wanted that frozen lemonade stuff. We did that after the fifth. Uh, we did. We did. So we. Yeah, we did. We split a pretzel after the seventh, and and I'm adding this up, and there was still a good amount of money left over. And um, I was I wasn't angry. How do you get angry at a heart like that? But I began to explain to him that, you know, that's that's good that you were generous, but you don't know how that man is going to use that money he could use it for alcohol and drugs and I just started to educate my son and it's as if the Holy Spirit went shut up Phil (laughs) shut up Phil if anything you should be learning from him not lecturing from him in our first church I'm going to tell you a lot of stories tonight okay there's not many verses in this This is an unbalanced message that's far more application-oriented than let's figure out what the Greek words mean because it's a very straightforward passage. We already read it. Uh, It's a Tuesday morning, and I'm I'm sitting in our church in my little office, and the phone rings and um, says, Pastor, hey, I want to thank you for your message Sunday. It was powerful. Well, I sat up a little straighter in my chair. I didn't recognize the voice. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I should know your voice. I knew everybody in our church, right? And he goes, no, 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 we were visiting. And um, he said, I'm sure you didn't miss us. He says, you know, that was my wife and me and six kids. And I didn't remember meeting anybody with six kids. I've already calculated that's eight people. That would be, that would be 7.2% growth for the year. Uh, that would be good. He says, we're moving to your area. I got a job over in Onarga. It's a good job. Um, he says, we'll be there in a couple of weeks. We've been praying God would show us our new church home, and we haven't even moved there yet, and we found it. Praise God. He says, there, there's just one problem. He says, we blew a transmission along the way. He says, you know they want, like, more than $1,000 for that? He says, I'm pretty good with my hands. I found one in in a, in a like in a junkyard says I've already removed it and um, he says for $600 the guy will let me have it and he's even going to loan me his lift so I can work on it and he says "Um, you know we're just I'm in between jobs is there any way you could loan us that money till we get there guess what I did I wired him $600 one week two weeks three weeks four weeks went by never saw him Nobody else remembered a family with six kids visiting. I'd gotten scammed. Went to our next elder meeting. There were, there were three elders. The first elder says, hey, you gave that to the Lord. Anybody could have done that. We'll reimburse that. Second elder says, um, pastor, the Bible says we should be harmless as dove, but wise as, sat- as serpents. Why is it Satan? No, he didn't say that. Why is it serpents? And um, says, I think this would be a good learning lesson for you. We were making $24,000 with no insurance included in that at the time. A $600 expense was something that would have choked our budget pretty bad. First elder goes, oh, come on. And he goes, no, I'm serious. We're not reimbursing that. The third elder goes, in a very Solomonic fashion, goes, let's cut the baby in half. Let's pay him back 300 So they paid me 300 Both that elder and the first elder each tried to sneak me $300 of their own money. I almost made a profit on it, but I would have felt guilty <laughs> doing that. That chain of events influenced me. I closed my heart to that kind of generosity. Fool me once, you know the saying, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. It must be in Proverbs. Christians quote it all the time. <laughs> a couple of years after that, Ellen and I came home from running some errands. We pulled into our driveway. Again, remember, this is a town of 850 people. The people who loved our church would always send people to our house if they needed help. The people who hated our church would always send people to our house if they needed help. <laughs> and there's this guy there, and he's got on kind of a flannel shirt. And, and I mean, he's, he's a pretty big guy, pretty, pretty muscular. And I said, "Hun, stay here. Let me talk to this guy. And he says, hey, he says, I just got out of prison in Joliet. And um, I knew that prison. And... Um, he said, um, I've got a job out in Arizona. I've served my sentence. I'm starting my life over. And he says, um, I need to get to Champaign-Urbana to catch a bus out to Arizona. And he said, um, could you get me to Champaign-Urbana and maybe, you know, maybe even a little help for the bus fare? And I thought, here we go again. Do you have six kids? Don't need a transmission. I mean, those were my bubble thoughts. And I, I said, I'll tell you what, Ellen and I need to go make two visits on people, um, with people. Here's my lawnmower. Here's the trimmer. If we come back and the yard looks good, I'll be happy to take you down to Champaign-Urbana. We came back, probably it was three hours later. As soon as we turned the corner, the, the yard looked perfect. It wasn't just mown and trimmed. It, it was the bushes had been trimmed, too. It had evergreens all around, all those. He trimmed those, too. He was raking up. He waves to me. He goes, give me a little bit more. I need about 15 minutes. He had told me that shortly before he was released from prison, he had had a collapsed lung that they had to fix and it complications. They had to do surgery. And he goes, the exercise will do me good. Well, so here we are. We're back. He's gotten rid of his flannel shirt. He's got on like a white T-shirt. And he turns around to go throw some stuff in a, in a trash bag, and there's a huge L-shaped blood stain on the back of his T-shirt. He would some. He popped some stitches. He popped some. St- he was telling the truth. We invited him in. He showered. We. I drove him down to Champaign Urbana. Alan, if I never told you this before, I bought his full bus ticket. That's what Leviticus calls a guilt offering. Um, <laughs> wow. The whole way home, God and I had a conversation. And we made a deal. That I would rather someday have the Lord say, "Um, Boy, sometimes you let your heart get ahead of your head, Phil. You you did get scammed a couple of times. I would rather have that conversation than God say, I sent people your way who needed help. Why did you harden your heart? Those weren't your resources anyway. Those were mine. Sometimes it's not even best to give financially, is it? Sometimes there's physical needs. I just wrote down, A few examples. There's a guy I worked with for years, John Hoover. He really built Walk Through the Bible International. Um, Went to glory on it at age 47. 6'6", 180 pounds, good shape. Just dropped over and was dead before he hit the ground. I still don't understand. There's no logic in any of that. But John, one day, I'd been at Walk Through the Bible maybe a year, and John goes, hey, I need you for a dangerous mission. I said, all right. Am I going to Ukraine again? What are, where are we going here? And he goes, no. He goes, he goes, get your keys. I need you to run me down to the, to the garage down a couple blocks from our office. I said, what do you, oh, is your car down there? He goes, no. He says, my car's in the parking lot. I go, why do you need my help? He goes, look. And he, the, one of the single moms who worked for us, he says, have you ever seen her tires? They're not safe. They're not safe. I'm, I'm sure she hasn't replaced them because money's just tight. He goes, I'm going to buy her a couple of tires. He goes, I'll drive her car down. You drive me back in your car. I'll keep her keys at the end of the day. Then we'll go back. We'll get her car. We'll bring it back. I'll page her on the speaker to my office. You sneak her keys back in the drawer. She'll never know about it. We got there. The guy who was—he was a good, trustworthy mechanic, he goes, which two tires do you want me to replace? He said the two bad ones. He goes, as I said, which two of the four terrible ones? And I said, Hey, John, let me go have these with you. He goes, No, this is our turn this time. Diane and I prayed about this. This is ours. You you can do something later. I was a yes, it was financial, but it was a it was a a physical gift that was given. Um, was in a church one time teaching. And um, there was all this activity out in the parking lot on Saturday when I got there. I was going to be speaking on Sunday. I mean, there must have been 50 men and women out there, and then all these cars started coming. And they had a deal that for any widows or single moms or or even others with need, they would do all their car work free once a month in the church parking lot i i asked some of those it was mostly guys doing the work not all guys some women were really big help too a lot better with cars than i am but i happened to ask a couple of guys and they go this is the first time the church has ever asked me to do something that i'm good at that's that's just beautiful isn't it My wife loves to take meals to people after they've been sick, after they've had a baby. Her too? I'll give you my address. Okay. i got a sore throat. (laughs) I'm in James, room four. Um, (laughs) Anyway, we we have a joke about this because I I preached a sermon once. Whoa. I preached a sermon once on uh, the meaning of the word holy. It means set apart for a specific purpose. And I, um, I didn't have a good illustration for that, so God provided it. I came home from work one night and I smelled lasagna. And um, I'm smart enough to go, why don't you cook like my mom cooks? But my mom's lasagna really was something special. And Ellen learned that recipe, and uh, man, it was good. I just, and there it was. One of those, what are they like, 13 by 9 or how big those pans are. And I had just very quietly gotten a fork out of the drawer. I made zero noise. (laughs) Ellen was not in the room. And all of a sudden, I hear a voice from the other room go, Thou shalt not. That lasagna is holy. It has been set aside for a special purpose. And that purpose is not you. I'm like, how does she see through walls? I go, who is it for? Oh, so-and-so down the street just had surgery. Are you kidding me? They shouldn't even eat spicy food after a surgery. <laughs> I was like, come on. And she goes, look in the oven. There's a little pan just for you and me. I'll take care of you too. That's what the word holy means, set aside for a special purpose. Emotional needs. Emotional needs. Wow. So I was super husband that day and stayed out of lasagna. There was another day when Ellen said to me, are you listening to me? And I said, yes, I can tell you everything you just said, which, guys, that does not mean we're listening just because we can accurately feedback the essence of the conversation. And Ellen said these words to me, and I don't need to look at my notes because they're still in there. She goes, For the next 30 minutes, I need you to listen to me with as much focus as if I were any other person in the church who had made an appointment with you for counseling. Blue side or red side? Hmm. Wow. Sometimes listening is the best way to meet someone's emotional need, isn't it? Not just to listen to the words, but to hear the heart. And we don't need to look past our own marriages and our own family-child relationships to get chances to apply that one. It was a church that I spoke at one time, and the, the teaching went fine, it was all right, but there was obvious, there was just a, there was a coldness in the church. There was, a, there was a critical spirit, you know what I mean? You ever been part of a congregation like that? And about four years later, I went back, and I was not even looking forward to going back. I would written down a few notes. I'm like, oh, that, that is that church. And maybe walkthrough should send somebody else. And, and like, no, you did the Old Testament. You need to do the New Testament. Finish the story, Phil. And the pastor had just said, I, I want you to see how God has changed our church. Well, now he had my attention. And all I can tell you is the church was a different group of people. It was the same people, but they had been changed. And there were more of them because it was now growing again. And I asked the pastor, I said, what did you do? And he goes, I didn't do anything. I go, I, right, right, right. What did God do? Sorry. And he goes, no. He goes, it wasn't even God and me. He goes, there were some crazy people in our church. They called themselves the bodybuilders. And he says, they started making pizza hits. What's a pizza hit? He said, they would observe somebody in the church serving quietly in some capacity. The nursery. Somebody who helped do the maintenance in the church. Says the the most recent people they got, they saw somebody. They found out she folds the bulletins every Saturday. And they're ready to go. I... He goes, I'm I'm the pastor. I used to hate that task. He says, you can get paper cuts on church bulletins, right? And, and, And he says, then they would find out if the people were home, and they'd just have Pizza Hut show up with however many pizzas were needed for that family. And on the top of the pizza box, it said, we are the bodybuilders. You thought nobody noticed you serving at our church, but we caught you. Enjoy the pizza. What a weird idea. What a glorious concept. I said, how long have they been doing this? He goes, two years. I said, do you know who it is? He goes, no, and it's not because I haven't tried. He says, I went to Pizza Hut. I asked the manager of the Pizza Hut, you have repeat customers? Um, can, do you know who they are? Nope, they don't use names. And he goes, well, you put their thing on top of the pizza. I know you've met them. Yeah, I've met them before. Well, you know, what's their credit card say? They always pay cash. Pastor says, I opened up the church directory and said, I'd like to show you some pictures. (laughs) This is a true story, non-embellished by me. Manager of the Pizza Hut says, Nope, they've warned us. They ever get busted, all this business goes to dominoes. My lips are sealed question how many people in your church not you don't have to send pizzas but with that mindset do you think it would take to change the temperature in your church answer is very very few i i saw it happen of course spiritual needs the ultimate expression of that is sharing the gospel is it not and don't buy into the thinking that says, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Neither do I. But there's people in my sphere of influence that God's created opportunities for me to share with. And I need to look for those opportunities, and so do you. To simply pray with someone, I worked with a guy for years. He did this every time we were at lunch. He was a retired Navy captain, then came to work for Walk Through the Bible. And he would just, as as just sincerely as possible say to the server, hey, we're going to be, be given thanks for our meal after, after you bring it. Is there anything going on in your life we can pray about? I said, Jim, how many times do people, are they okay with that? He says, I've never yet had anybody say no. Ellen and I have done it a few times, not enough times, but a few times. We've never had anybody say no. We've had people who say, um... I can't really think of anything right now. And about half of those times, toward the end of the meal, the person will come back and say, hey, um, were you really serious about that? Because I'm in a relationship that's really unhealthy. I think I need to get out of it, but I'm afraid to do that. Hey, this is my second job, my main job is this, plus I'm trying to go, I wanna go to nursing school. Could you pray that God They'll sometimes go that your God opens the door for that. One of the things Ellen does so well is when she writes cards to people, she doesn't just write the scripture reference because that's assuming a lot. She takes the extra three minutes that it takes to actually write out the verse, right? There's all kinds of needs, Walk through the Bible, when we went through COVID, we had just launched a three-year vision to double our ministry from 2 million people to 4 million people a year. Do you think we wrote a global pandemic into that plan? Answer, no, we did not. Our board said, well, I guess you're off the hook. Nobody in their right mind thinks that's possible now. You want to change it to five years or eight years, what do you want to do And we said, no, we really think we heard from God. And they go, are you you sure about that? And we said, yeah, it was affirmed by you as a board affirmed it. Our global leaders affirmed it. Our staff just went, let's go, let's go, let's go. Said, all right, all right. But we think that's kind of crazy. We said, it's just crazy enough that it's going to have to be God. We missed our goal in that three years it was 99.68% of doubling. You think we weren't looking in the couch cushions for every extra person we could find that we accidentally? Well, how many of those people we taught were pregnant? Life begins at conception, I believe. (laughs) Let's add. (laughs) we didn't doctor the numbers. We just said we're going to call 99.68% a win. You know why that was possible? It was possible because some people did exactly what Barnabas had done. We were doing no events in churches. Your church, probably like ours, just struggling to keep their doors open, right? Trying to figure out virtual ministry for many of you. They sure weren't having to walk through the Bible in for extra things. That income stream totally dried up. And it's been, it's still, it's just now really getting going again. So many people stepped up. There, there was one family were very generous givers. They always gave in December. In June that year, we got their check. We said that's great. They said, Phil, why don't you call them, make sure that you know they know we appreciate their gift. And I said, thank you for giving early. And the lady goes, Oh, that's not early. We're going to double up this year. You'll get another check like that in December. I could tell you stories like that until midnight because they sensed this is a limited time opportunity. People are we didn't we didn't double in spite of covid in some ways we doubled because of covid. Because people lost confidence in science, technology, governments. It's the word of God that has the answers. We're seeing the same thing in Ukraine right now. Churches are packed in Ukraine. We just, a month ago, got access to the public schools in Ukraine to teach OT and NT live. Why? Because of the war. Sometimes, sometimes, it's such a significant moment in time that a special gift is called for, right? Right? Don't resist that generous impulse when God prompts your hearts. We have here a couple of things. It says, if you find it easy to be spontaneous, but struggle with being strategic, that would be me. Um, You might want to read When Helping Hurts. Our daughter is on the board of a children's home in Guatemala called Casa Bernabe, House of Barnabas, coincidentally. Um... They've had to educate their groups who come from the U.S. You know what most of the groups that come down they want to do? They want to camp out in the baby house. And they want to hold babies about 18 hours, 20 hours a day. It's a beautiful thing. Makes perfect sense to us. There may not be a group the next week. You know what happens to those kids that have already experienced abandonment in their life? they get abandoned again the next week. And they've had to get very directive with their volunteer groups to go, yeah, yeah, those are good ideas. Let us share with you what could have the biggest impact. You ministering to the house parents, a couple, lots of times with their own kids, plus 12 other kids, you serving those house parents is the best thing that you can do. You helping us complete a facility. You helping us raise some money. Even sometimes building things takes money out of the local economy. And when I go on building trips, the building doesn't turn out very well anyway. There's still a place for those. Don't get me wrong. If you struggle with the paralysis of analysis, if you are the son of an actuary too, I found the book Love Does by Bob Goff to be utterly liberating. Sometimes God just wants us to do something. Dad used to always say, it's way easier to direct a moving object. I didn't understand what that meant until he was teaching me how to drive, and he'd go, okay, we're going to back out of the driveway, and I'd want to turn the wheel first. He'd go, no, 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 no. no. Start backing out, then turn the wheel. It's easier to steer a moving object couple questions for you who in your life needs you to be a barnabas right now if i've taught this right if i've bombarded you with enough ideas don't copy those ideas but that person's face in your mind needs a barnabas right now don't look past your own family it might be one of your kids the one who went away to university and walked away from her faith might be one of your grandkids who's struggling mightily right now. Might be your spouse. Might be your pastor. Your pastor's wife. One of the hardest jobs in America is being a pastor's wife. No written job description, yet everybody in the church has their own job description for that lady. I want to show you a video um, I wanna show you a video that shows walk through the Bible in action. Those of you who've been through a older New Testament, you know we use hand signs. This is creation. Go like this with your hands. Ready, make a big world and say creation. Then drop your hands and say fall. Of course, we would explain all this. That's sin comes into the world. Sin spreads like a forest fire out of control. God sends a flood. So make a flood, say flood. In Texas, they say flood, right? So do the first three. Creation, fall, flood, and then they're gonna build a tower to heaven. They're not spreading out like God said. God confuses the languages, the Tower of Babel. We call that nations. You just learned the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Try it without me. Go for it, ready? Creation, fall, flood, flood nations there's actually 40 steps in the old testament 40 steps in the new testament we got an opportunity a couple years ago in uh, Tegucigalpa Honduras there's you know where that is really Um, there's a lot of gang activity there you'll see some drone shots in this video I asked the woman who went down to to shoot the video to manage the project I said weren't you scared You were in a couple of very rough areas. She goes, no, they took good care of us. She goes, the only day I was scared, we were going to do the drone shots, and they said, there's three gangs that we need to call because the police use drones for surveillance, and that drone won't be in the sky 30 seconds if we don't get permission from the gangs to fly the drones. And she goes, they'll give you that permission? They go, yeah, all of their kids of the gang leaders are all in our programs here. She goes, are you kidding me? She goes, hey, gang leaders want a better future for their kids, too. Lord, I pray for those faces that we saw in our minds' eye tonight, that, Lord, you would show us not just who needs a Barnabas, but show us what's one tangible step that we can take in the next week to share the love of Jesus Christ with our family members, with our, with our friends, with the folks at our churches, our coworkers, lord i just i just thank you that he responded and especially the next two nights as we dive deep into his life and see the real impact that he had on individuals and groups lord i just can't wait to see what you're going to teach us in jesus name amen